Welcome to this Food Thing podcast. This is the place where we talk about our relationship with food, whether it is friend or foe, easy or less so, and how it affects our behavior. Here's today's episode. Hi, welcome back to Love This Food Thing podcast. I'm delighted to be joined today by Becca King. Becca is a registered dietitian nutritionist from Charlotte, North Carolina. As an adult with ADHD who struggled for years with disordered eating, Becca is passionate about helping other adults with ADHD who also struggle with binge eating, chronic dieting, and body issues to find food freedom and improve their self-esteem. She uses the principles of intuitive eating and a weight-inclusive approach to nutrition for ADHD in her virtual practice. And you might have seen Becca on Instagram because she is the ADHD nutritionist uh, on Instagram. Becca, welcome (laughs) to Love This Food Thing. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it took us a while, didn't it? But we got there in the end. We made it work. (laughs) Yeah, with all good things. Um, Yeah, so yeah, let's... It's you're the first person I've had on the podcast who has had ADHD and has made it their life's work. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I've had I've spoken to a few people with ADHD and I know also particularly among my peer group lots of people are being diagnosed which I don't think would have happened 20 25 years ago. So let's I'd like to talk about that a bit later. Yeah, definitely. And see what you think about it. But in relation to yourself, how would you describe your relationship with food? Would you consider it a friend or a foe? I would definitely say in the past, it was definitely a foe. Um, But I always enjoyed food, but I had a complicated relationship with food. Um, But now I would say food is a friend. Um, In what way was it complicated? I think it was you know, enjoying food, but the fear, um, of gaining weight, um, made it complicated. Um, and just, um, yeah, I think that would be the biggest part was just my disordered eating made it complicated because I enjoyed eating food, but at the same time, I didn't want to enjoy too much food too much because I was afraid I would, you know, it become this out of control thing. Did you so. find it, did you, sorry to interrupt there. Did you find it difficult to stop eating? Um, initially I kind of started more in a restrictive place. So like looking back, definitely tied to my ADHD. I was like, I can't control anything else around me, which is like the chaos in my brain. So yeah. I'll control what I can eat. And then as I started kind of trying to work through recovery, um, it kind of, my eating disorder kind of shape-shifted more from anorexia to um, binge eating. So were you diagnosed with ADHD as a a young child? I was not. I was diagnosed at 19. So um, probably my sophomore year of college, I definitely recognized it my freshman year. Uh, My roommate um, at the time had um, ADHD. And I was like, we are two peas in a pod. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, when I was in therapy, my sophomore year of of college, I asked my therapist to, um, do some assessments on me and it came back and she was like, yes, you have ADHD. And I was like, okay, (laughs) that makes sense. So, um, it was 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 very helpful. Okay. So that was a relief to find that out. Did you have the, so your disordered eating was happening before your ADHD diagnosis? Yes. Yeah. Oh. And I, I, looking back, I think, um, 
it was just something I could almost hyper focus or hyper fixate on was what I was eating. <laughs> sure. Um, so it became something I could, you know, that was easy for my brain to think about all the time, basically. Yeah. Did you find it calmed you down? Um, I don't think so. Well, maybe on the ex- externally, but I think it made me a lot more stressed out to constantly be thinking about what I was eating, if I was eating too much of something or if what I was eating wasn't, you know, quote unquote good or Okay. Did you, um, were you rigorous about your daily food schedule, what you would eat? Oh, yes. When, what you would buy? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. And when did that start? That started probably like my junior year of high school, we moved um, from Atlanta to Charlotte, which is kind of like, they're like four hours apart. Mm. Um, And that move, I think kind of triggered more. I think I, I had a little bit of disordered eating like most high school girls have. Yeah. Um, but it, that really just kind of catapulted it into like a full blown eating disorder. Cause I didn't have as many, I mean, I was new and I went to a school, like I went to a private school. So everyone had been going to school with each other since, you know, kindergarten and we're juniors in high school. So they, you know, are all very tight knit group of, yeah. of kids. And so I think that, and it being summertime when we had moved and things like that, it was just something I could focus on to kind of like have something to do. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately. Did, um, did, um, I want to talk about what food was like at yeah. home actually in a minute, but when you started to control your eating, cause you're feeling like you're an, an alien in a, in a new environment. Yeah. That must've also been soothing at the beginning. No. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I think it made things feel calm and then, as things kind of progressed and people started to notice that my eating behaviors weren't normal and being told that over and over and over again. Right. Um, and then having to start therapy before college and things like that, that was when things started to feel a little bit more chaotic. And then by the time I got to college, unfortunately my university had an eating disorder treatment team, which was great, but they were not, not the best fit, I guess, for me. Um, and it just, I ended up stopping going. And so that I think was me just trying to navigate how to start eating more because I knew I needed to um, and trying to figure that out on my own. And that's kind of where things I think shape shifted to my body really needing more food and kind of that refeeding period of trying to get more nourishment back in. Yeah. And that kind of resulted in binge eating, unfortunately. Also, also, um, when you were restricting your food and you have cliques of girls around you, I don't know what teenage girls are like, you know, it's tough. It's very different for boys. It's it's brutal. Um, did it, did it work in a way? Did it, did it sort of include them? Was that behavior normalized? I. Did it win you friends? I guess that's what I'm asking. Um. Not necessarily. I think I just got pinned as like the really healthy friend. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, more than anything else because I played sports and things like that. So it was just like, oh, she's really active and healthy. Right. Kind of thing. And then probably by the end of my senior year, though, I was I had I had lost a, a lot of weight, and so it was very more visible that I probably had an eating disorder okay. at that time. Okay. 
What were your what were the messages like about food at home when you were younger? How is food in your family? You know, surprisingly, food it was not like I didn't really grow up in a family that was super, you know, into dieting or anything like that. Like my mom definitely as someone who's been always very active, but not like my mom never did Weight Watchers or like any of the things that like a lot of other moms do. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I think it was more of like the societal messages that I took in about food and body than like anything from my family. Cause like my, my dad always was like, you know, everything in moderation, you know, you can eat everything, like whatever, you know, all of that. There was no like restrictions around food. Like I came home and ate ice cream every single day from like sixth grade until like 10th grade. So there was no, um, there definitely wasn't negative food talk at home, but I think it was more of like the messages I would see in magazines, you know, like in Teed Vogue and 17 Mm. and Mm. um, fitness magazines and things like that was more of where I think I got oh yeah the, the fitness idea. magazines the the oh, you can yeah. transform your body in six weeks and you go yes oh yes, yeah this time yeah time. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I'm like, i know oh, that i'll one. do all these things like and i remember when i um i remember my parents had like some sort of tv app that i could go on and there was like the julian jillian Mike, michaels or julian michaels i can't think of her name up exactly but she's like one of those intense trainer people and i would like go do her exercises to like get okay. her abs or whatever like <laughs> I'm like you're not gonna get her abs <laughs> oh, I know so disappointing isn't it yeah. you, I'm, I'm hearing that your family uh are, are you know moderate around food do you know what the emotional family themes are was the <sighs> anxiety that got passed around or people not expressing think, themselves or yeah you know? my mom my mom's a little bit more of a reserved person my dad's very much the opposite. So I kind of have like both sides of the coin. Yeah. Which Um, I think, sorry to interrupt, but I think that's so interesting about then mirroring kind of, you know, the binging yeah, and then the restricting. I can really relate to that, that metaphor that you then runs throughout your life. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, I think that would probably be like my mom being more reserved probably more than anything, like would be, I would, I guess some of that, yeah. Um, but I would say like for the most part, my family, I think it was more of, we moved a lot and I mm-hmm. think more of that was a, a lot of heavy stuff for like, I moved in middle school and, and that was, you know, sixth grade's a rough yeah. year <laughs> yeah. um, for, for like the, that preteen, those preteen years. Um, and so I think moving, especially at that point, I had moved from the North, like the Midwest to the South, which is like two completely different worlds in the U.S. Okay. Um, so it was also just a big, I think, culture shock adjusting to a different place and different social norms and all of that and having to kind of navigate all of that. That's a lot, isn't it, when you're young? Yeah. Yeah. Too much, actually. <laughs> too much. Yeah. yeah, yeah I, I, unless you sort of have the personality that thrives on that, um, I think that's a, it's a really tough call for a lot of us. Definitely. And I think looking back, my parents definitely hold a lot of guilt over moving around a lot. Um, but I always tell them like now as an adult, I can adjust to change a lot better than other, um, like uh, my peers that are my age when they move or some have some sort of, some sort of big life change. I find I can acclimate yeah. a little bit better, which is nice. So 
I always have to reaffirm my parents. I was like, yes, it sucked then and it wasn't great. But now I have a lot of skills that I can use and it doesn't feel as stressful for me as it might be for other people to have to move or make certain sort of like transitions in life. Yeah, it can really help build resilience, can't it? And yes. uh, flexibility. And goodness knows we need that right now in this yes. in this world that we're all inhabiting. <laughs> um, just before we go to a break, so let's um, let's go to where you nineteen. You, you know, you start therapy before nineteen. How long did? And then you have your diagnosis at nineteen of mm-hmm. D. Was it then? much easier to recover your eating, your disordered eating from that because you had a clear diagnosis? At the time, I really didn't understand the link between ADHD and my relationship with food. Mm. Um, I don't think it, they kind of like clicked to me. It really wasn't, it wasn't till later on in my kind of intuitive eating journey and working on my relationship with food that I kind of made the connection that those two things were related. Um, It was more honestly, like as I started getting into school and um, kind of realizing that I was like, I think I started in nursing school and I was like, this isn't it. Um, And then I realized one of my classes was nutrition class. And I was like, and even though I was still struggling (laughs) with, you know, an eating disorder. I was like, I think yeah. I want to be a dietitian. And of think, course. Of uh, course. Yeah. And so perfect and I was like, yeah. So I was like, as I started kind of looking down that lens and then they, my school didn't have a nutrition program. So I did public health and that really helped a little bit with my relationship with food. And then by the time I got to grad school, like on that first semester of just really being learning all about nutrition and what basically what I was doing to my body was that like for me, the logic piece was very helpful for me somehow versus like more all of the more emotional stuff. It was like, Oh, uh, logically I need to learn that. Like uh, I need to feed and nourish my body and it, and I'm not doing that. And that's, you know, that's why I'm binging is cause I'm, I'm in that binge restrict cycle. And if I nourish my body, you know, more, so- I, I'm not going to binge. <laughs> so, Wow. So that was your turning point, realizing yeah. how, how much you were abusing your physical body. Yes. Yeah. I think that for me really clicked. And it, and I think too, because it's not, you know, when you're in a classroom setting, it's not someone telling you, you need to do X, Y, and Z. Cause that just never really was helpful. Like I remember my eating disorder dietitian in college was like, you know, I remember this like one of the most vivid memories I have of her being like, you know, you know, a serving of strawberries is like one and a quarter cup. And I was like, honey, like I know what the serving size of everything is. <laughs> I was like, but my eating disorder brain has its own rules. <laughs> I was like, so yeah. like you telling me to eat a serving of something when my brain doesn't want to do that, like yeah. that's yeah. not what the serving is in my head doesn't help. <laughs> so I think learning from, from a perspective that wasn't someone telling me what to do and I think that might tie to ADHD a little bit too. Of learning about it that way in an indirect way was more helpful than someone saying, you need to do X, Y, and Z. And me kind of being like, I don't want to do what you're telling me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. Of course. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. Yeah. Hi, welcome back to Love This Food Thing podcast. I'm here with Becca and we're talking about Becca's ADHD and eating disorders and her discovery or, uh, 
her diagnosis and consequent discovery of how her eating was affected by her ADHD. She was diagnosed with ADHD at 19. So, um, yes, can you take me from that point? I know we got there a little bit. Yeah. How long did it take for things to kind of, for you to start to feel balanced? And like, yes, you were abusing your body and that was the turning point. Yeah. So probably grad, beginning of grad school then would have been like probably when I was like 22. Okay. So probably a few years. Mm. Um, and I had started kind of to work on my relationship with food at, towards the end of my undergrad um, years and it had started to get better. Like it was on the upswing. Um, and I think it, you know, I am fortunate that when you are in a nutrition program, like you're thinking about food a lot because um, that's what you're learning about. So I think it made it a lot easier for me to work on because it was kind of always a part of the conversation when I was, you know, at school and then I had to come home and feed myself and all of that stuff. So for me, it was really discovering I was on social media and um, saw some dietitians who, um, you know, were food blogger type of people back in the day before Instagram was a little bit different. Um, And they were talking about intuitive eating and I'm watching them eat, you know, eat all of these yummy, delicious foods and talk about, you know, enjoying things without guilt or shame and, you know, being able to eat a couple of bites of ice cream and move on. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, wow, this is crazy. And so then I started looking into it. And at first I was like, this is woo woo. Like you can, and you know, the idea with intuitive eating that you can listen and trust your body about what, when, and how much to eat. I was like, that's crazy. <laughs> I cannot do that. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but I had tried, you know, every single diet or fad thing that was out there thinking if I controlled my eating, the binge eating would just stop. You know, if I just, even though I was already very pretty tightly regulated with how I would eat, unless it was some time when I would binge. So, you know, it was that I'd eat really, really, really good. And then something Mm. would happen. (laughs) I would binge or like the evening would come around and I would binge. Like I would eat. It wasn't necessarily that I didn't eat meals or snacks. It just wasn't enough food during the day. And then when my ADHD medication would wear off in the evening, I would binge. And so- Can I ask you- Yeah. About binging. Can I ask you, because uh, my experience, my own experience and other people I've spoken about, spoken to about binging is this toxic shame and just disgust at the self, et cetera. How did you feel after you'd binged? Oh, yuck like mm. not a terrible like it, it was like this weird you wanted it to do something for you or scratch some sort of itch but that it never did what you wanted it yeah. <laughs> to do yeah. yeah and yeah there's so much shame like because I was in a program for to be a dietitian I was like and I'm binge eating I can't yeah. talk about this so then there was you know trying to you're almost putting on a facade that like you have a normal healthy relationship with food yeah. when you don't. Um, and I know I'm probably wasn't the only one going through that at, the, at that time either, but it was just, you know, a taboo thing to talk about. Um, so there was definitely a lot of shame associated with that. So what, was it quite easy for you to start intuitive eating? Did you kind of click onto it in the same way that you did when you realized you were abusing your body? Yeah. Like the two kind of paired mm-hmm. together mm-hmm. and it just kind of clicked for me. And I think it helps obviously that I have was getting like nutrition 
like learning about nutrition. So it wasn't just like me trying to figure it out on my own um, kind of thing. Like I had some knowledge already that made it a little bit easier for me. Um, and, and again, that I had, that was all I was focusing on at the time in school. So it made it, I think a little bit easier than it might be for folks who like, if you know, you're going to work and thinking about something completely different, you know, it, you know, you're, that's a lot of extra work to have to kind of focus on your relationship with food on top of, you know, a job or having a family or whatever, all at the same time. Can you describe your ADHD? Because I yeah. have limited experience of ADHD. Um, yeah. So there's yeah. three types. There used to be, so there used to be like ADD and ADHD. Mm-hmm. Um, and ADHD was more of like the hyperactive boy, kind of the classic stereotype is how that one's viewed. Yeah. Um, and ADD is more of like maybe someone who's um, – especially in girls, it'll show up as someone who's maybe daydreaming a lot or like, you know, looks like they're always kind of lost in their head kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Not necessarily as hyperactive. Um, And now it's ADHD. And then there's three different types. So there's the hyperactive impulsive type, inattentive, which was ADD. And then the combined type, which is you present with some of the symptoms from inattentive and some from the hyperactive component. Um, so for me, I have the combined type. So I have a little bit of inattentiveness and I also have a little bit of hyperactivity. Um, I would say physically I show some of that more than maybe other females do. Um, typically females, if they're hyperactive, it's more of a mental hyperactivity. So they might look calm externally, but their brain is very hyperactive and you know mm. has a lot of thoughts going on all at once. Um, yeah, I like to think that sometimes it's like, like having little minions in your brain, trying to like go through all the filing cabinets in, in your brain. And, and yes, a friend, very of, a, fr- a friend of mine said it was like having 15 or 20 dogs on, on leashes. Yeah. Yeah. And they all want to go different ways. <laughs> they want to go different ways. They're all barking their heads off. Yes. How does it, um, how does it show itself physically? Are you just manic and up and doing active hours I'm definitely more active I think than a lot of a lot of my peers and people um I definitely learned how to sit still like I remember in middle school I would bounce my foot all the time um and it would annoy my classmates so I started chewing gum because I could (laughs) fidget without annoying my classmates um yeah so like things like that now I can because I work with folks have ADHD, I usually am, I'm on camera, I can have like a fidget in my hand underneath my, you know, my desk or whatever to kind of, so I can move while I'm sitting. Okay. Um, Are you doing that now? Yeah. I have a pen that I'm playing with. Are you, are you twirling it like a a baton? Like a lingerette? Trying to click it quietly. <laughs> Don't worry, click away. My sound engineer will take all the clicks out. He'd be like, what was that? Was that you, Gemma? I'm like, no, it's Becca. No. Get a pen under the table. <laughs> I did actually kick the, kick the table leg over here. Let's just shout and make a lot of noise. That's fascinating. So, okay, so you have a combination of drifting off yes. and not being here and then over being here and um yeah would you, would you say fixating do you get fixated on stuff yeah that, that hi- um like getting I love like getting hyper focused to me 
is more of a like superpower. I like to yeah. think of it that way mm. um, because I love like if I can get into almost like a flow state, as some people will say, but like getting in the zone and just being able to work and it's like nothing else exists around me. And that is yeah. really great when that can happen. And I think I'm very fortunate that I get to do something I love. So it's very easy to get to do that. Um, and I think even like back in, when I was in school, I loved research. And I think part of it was I could go down rabbit holes and just find all sorts of things. And that was very stimulating for my brain. I absolutely so, understand that. I think lots yeah. of very creative people and successful successful people in the past and today have probably had ADHD, that yes. ability to just <laughs> yeah, write and write and write or paint and paint and paint. Yeah. Um, I'm still intrigued about, I understand disordered eating as a way of soothing. Yeah. Yeah, of course I understand that. What am I talking about? I understand that <laughs> as a way of soothing what's going on in your brain. As your ADHD... Uh, and this was a question, but l- let me ask you first. As your no, I'm going to ask you this question. We have um, one of our listeners, Jesse, yeah. Jesse Codling. Jesse, I hope you're listening. Um, <laughs> so, because you'll be able to relate to this, she was curious to know if ADHD, when medicated or supported, whether that has an influence on eating disorder symptoms and recovery. So if the ADHD is tackled, and I'm asking you, when your ADHD was tackled, do that and did your ED symptoms start to kind of, well, did they go on their own? Did they start to disappear? I would say yes. Like, Mm. And I think that it's kind of having to kind of work on both almost a little bit at the same time. I know for me initially, like starting ADHD medication definitely contributed a little bit more to that binge restrict cycle because it made it easier in a sense to not eat during the day, even if that was sometimes not intentional. Um, But it also helped me, you know, have the executive function to be able to prepare meals and um, to actually kind of slow things down a little bit and not be super impulsive with things. Okay. Um, so for me, I found, you know, getting that addressed and the more I worked on that, like, um, started working, like looking back, my, I had a psychiatrist towards the end of college. I kind of had several therapists and psychiatrists in that one. Wow. Looking back, I'm like, he just ADHD did ADHD coaching with me because it wasn't like we were digging really deep with things. It was like, how to set goals and how to plan things and do X, Y, and Z. And so learning, I think, how to do those life skills started to, you know, transfer to food and other things in my life um, and made made it more manageable. So so would it be like you'd hyper-focus on something and then something else would appear and get your attention so you'd move on to that, kind, but kind yeah. of moving chaos in your wake? Yes. <laughs> and that's what would happen with the food, Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Or, um, or just like, I think a lot of that typical, that binge restrict cycle would show up. And then as I started working with ADHD and just valuing that I needed to eat, like, even if I'm on an ADHD medication, like that doesn't mean I shouldn't be eating food. Like I still need to nourish my body, even if my brain feels stimulated. So I think, shifting my perspective and on the medication, which took 
a little bit of time as I adjusted to it. I was like, this is to help me function and not to starve myself. <laughs> like that's what this is for. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, well, clearly then, Jesse, if you do tackle your ADHD, you also have to work with your eating disorder symptoms. Yes. Um, they go hand in hand. They're not mutually exclusive, are they? Yes. Yeah. And yeah. I think for some people, there's a big, like, I think the dopamine seeking component of food, mm. um, because food, especially carbs, like for a lot of um, my clients, if they're, um, they might have been using food for a good portion of their life as a way to self-medicate to get dopamine. And Mm. I think especially over the past couple of years with the pandemic and being home more, Mm. that coping tool or that, you know, has come to the forefront for a lot of people, or it's something they relied on more than other tools that they would, you know, use to get stimulation. Cause you know, you can't go do as many activities that you would find rewarding. You're stuck at home. You know, all of that I think made food a lot more accessible for people. So they found at least for a lot of my clients, they had found that they are eating more in the absence of hunger because they were bored and they needed that stimulation and nothing wrong with that by any means. Um, we were all trying to figure out how to survive the pandemic. Yeah. Um, but I think for a lot of folks getting ADHD under con- managing it better and being able to understand that component with dopamine too of like, Hey, food can be a part of this toolkit, right? Like I can, I can use food. If I need a crunchy snack for me, I can have some and then get the stimulation I need to go do whatever activity or task I need to do. But I know for me, it's not the only thing I use. Like going for a walk is very stimulating for me or listening to music or even just playing with my dog. You know, those sorts of things are also stimulating. And so I don't rely just on food, but when you start kind of being able to tackle your ADHD, if that's where you're leaning or if you're more of a, you know, binging for that dopamine, um, then it starts to become a little bit easier when you have more tools to rely on. Do you think the dopamine hit from, from food comes from the actual food and the, the ritual? I think it's a little bit of both. So I Mm. think a lot of my clients find crunchy food in particular, very stimulating or like, um, sometimes even like chewy foods, like, um, like some sort of candies that are really chewy. Um, but the sugar, like sugar and carbohydrates definitely provide our brain dopamine. Um, but I think the sensory experience too of eating because it's, you know, it's taste, there's taste, there's smell, um, the texture of food, all of that is also stimulating. So I think it's a little bit of both and I think that's also, and it's accessible and a pretty, low effort thing, you know, for most people, I should say food's readily accessible. Um, and it, you know, it doesn't require a lot of work, especially now with, you know, like processed food, (laughs) you know, it's very easy to go grab a bag of chips, you know, and sit down and, and, you know, TV often, for instance, is a great example of something that's not very stimulating for ADHD brains. So they usually need something else to do while they watch TV, whether that's scroll on their phone or, you know, like eat potato chips or do something like that. And so it's, you know, it's something we can do with lots of distractions or we can do it while we're studying or working. Um, um, mm. Whereas other sorts of tools you might use might not be accessible in those, those moments. That's very interesting, that disconnection. We're going to take a quick break. Welcome back to Love This Food Thing podcast. I'm here with Becca, the ADHD nutritionist. 
And Becca was talking about the kind of foods that people like to eat for dopamine and the crunchy thing. I was just thinking, I love crunchy, salty, dry food. Oh, yes. <laughs> Not that that makes me ADHD, but yeah, it is that crunchy thing. So yes. tell me tell me more about your practice. Um, you have an online practice. Yes. And your, uh, and your work, yes. Yeah, so I... Obviously, I work with folks who have ADHD, um, mm-hmm. whether or not they're formally diagnosed or not. I, that necessarily doesn't necessarily matter to me because um, I do, especially like I have some clients who are from the UK and I know like the wait to get evaluated there is insanely long. Yeah. Um, yeah so I don't gatekeep people from working with me if, you know, if they're like, I, you know, I check all the boxes or, you know, all this stuff really resonates with me. And you can work with me. Um, but most of my clients struggle with overeating or binge eating typically um, in some way, shape, or form. And so I really kind of help them learn how to eat intuitively kind of from an ADHD perspective to account for, you know, medication that suppresses your appetite, um, the executive functioning piece around cooking and eating because there's just – a lot of steps in that process. So, um, yeah. How do you do that? How do you say to someone, yeah. okay, let's, let's use me. I have ADHD. I'm on medication. My appetite's suppressed. I'm, you know, I'm successfully going through my day. And then I get to the evening, my ADHD medication wears off, which is what you alluded to earlier. Yes. And suddenly, am I overwhelmingly hungry? Yes. Yeah. I call it the hunger monster that comes out because. Um, especially if you're not eating enough during the day or you're skipping, um, meals or snacks are going a really long time in between when you eat. Um, usually by the time your medication wears off, you're very, very hungry. Um, so for my clients, it's making sure that they're, you know, eating something every three to four hours is kind of the place that we start from. And then we can tweak that as we go, but it's more of getting that behavior down or that routine of eating down. Um, and I find too, of learning like what your hunger cues are on medication. Cause sometimes it kind of shifts a little bit, which sounds, might sound strange to some people, but, um, I can tell when I'm not on my medication, it's very easy to tell if I'm hungry. Um, but when I'm medicated, it's more of like, I get very hangry. Um, okay. I always choke with my clients. Like I get angry at the speed of my internet and that's usually, and it has not slowed down. <laughs> and that's usually like when I need to pause and ask myself when the last time I ate was. Okay. And that means, and it usually means it's time to go eat lunch or have a snack or something. Um, so helping my clients sometimes learn those, like not necessarily stomach hunger cues, but other things that they might recognize during the day because often if you're going over, you know, four hours without eating, typically your executive function and more of your like ADHD symptoms are going to start to come to the surface because your body doesn't (laughs) have the, you know, the energy that it needs to function, Mm -hmm. even though you might be medicated. So your brain is kind of doing its thing. Um, But some of my clients are realized like, oh, I get a headache at the same time every afternoon um, or my energy dips or you know, I'm medicated, but I can't focus on anything. Um, and using those sorts of cues as a way to kind of um, be able to honor your hunger, as well as acknowledging, like, if you don't have hunger cues, 
it is maybe eating something every three to four hours. And that can still be intuitive in the sense that you're just kind of bringing the logic piece in of like, this is helping keep my blood sugar stable. This is nourishing my body, even if I'm not necessarily getting those messages that I'm hungry, because I know if I don't do this, when my medication wears off, I'm going to be ravenous and I'm going to be very likely to overeat or binge when that happens. Do you think as you're talking, number one, why are so many people being diagnosed with ADHD? What do you think about that? Mm -hmm. And number two, because you're talking about putting structure back into your day and having every three or four hours, which is, you know, I was brought up in the seventies and it, it was we didn't have much food, but it was very much yeah. you had breakfast, you had lunch, you'd have something for tea, and yeah. then we would have supper. And, you know, that was probably every, I don't know, four hours I would yeah. eat. So you're talking about putting a structure back into people's eating lives. Yes. Do you think that people are struggling, particularly in the Western world or particularly in communities that have such a highly processed diet or the availability of that? Yeah. Do you think it's because we just have too much? It's a response. Yeah. I think the accessibility, so for a lot of my clients, it's that they don't necessarily have a plan with eating. And so, or they don't have food. Like they might want to have, maybe they bought the groceries to have a helpful meal, but they get home from work or they're on their way home from work and they're already hungry. And they're like, well, it's going to take me, you know, 30 minutes to an hour to make that meal. I don't want to do that. That's too much. I'll just go get fast food instead. Mm. Even though like their intention was to have something that's maybe a little bit more um, helpthful in terms of food, but they're so hungry, you know, and then they're impulsive. Yes. Yeah. And the impulsivity piece, I think, um, makes it a lot easier to maybe make choices that you don't necessarily want to make long-term, but in the moment, it's like, that sounds like a great idea. And then you, you know, you eat it and you're like, why did I do that? That's not what aligns with my values. Like it can be frustrating. So I think because it is accessible, but then I think regulating things can be, you know, regulating, regulating that impulsivity can be a challenge. Um, And just if you don't have a plan or thinking through things, you probably are going to rely a lot more on things that are more processed. Um, and so available, so instantly available. Yes, yeah. And, and so it's it's true, isn't it? It's true that more women are being diagnosed with ADHD, older women. Yes, um, yes. What are your thoughts about this? It makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I think social media has been a great tool over the pandemic, especially for women to show like, ADHD just doesn't present in women the same way that it does in men. And so I think um, for so long, boys, you know, get diagnosed typically earlier in their lives. Yeah. Um, and typically women don't get diagnosed when they're girls because they learn from a young age, like those behaviors of bouncing off the walls or doing X, Y, and Z isn't, doesn't fit the like gender norms. And sure. Sure. So you start to learn how to like mask your behaviors um, so that it doesn't, it's not as obvious. And then. Which girls um, do anyway, don't they? So if you yeah. do have that ADHD brain. Yeah. Like a double You're doing whammy. it 10 times more just mm. to like, to fit in, to please, 
to please your teachers, to please your parents, to do, you know, not get in trouble um, as much. And then it's interesting because dopamine is linked with estrogen. Um, And so for guy, for men and boys, their estrogen levels don't really fluctuate much throughout their lifespan, but obviously women's estrogen fluctuates. Um, And so with that linkage, women can have, you know, their symptoms aren't constant. They're have, they might have ebbs and flows where they're doing really well. Um, and then where things are challenging. And then when they get to perimenopause or menopause, that's when a lot of women get diagnosed or have been more have been getting diagnosed because their estrogen levels obviously are dropping and they can't, there's all of the coping tools a lot of times that they've been using throughout their earlier life. Um, aren't working anymore. Um, so then they're really struggling. That's fascinating. I'm also thinking about processed food being hormonal disruptors, particularly for women. Yeah, that would be, that would be an interesting, wouldn't it? Research. To look yeah. At. And a much longer podcast episode. <laughs> yeah. That's like one of those areas because it's been looked at so much as like a disorder in kids. The research with adults is so there's so much more that's needed, especially with food. Like most of the studies with adults and anything in nutrition, it's like, what do adults with ADHD eat kind of cross-sectional studies? And you're like, Mm. I mean, we kind of know like what we talked about earlier, like you're eating more, you're, you rely more on convenience foods or highly processed foods. So I'm like, it's not that stuff. I'm like, I already know that. Like personally, I don't need more research on that. Like it would be interesting to, do more intervention studies to see, you know, and I, what I, I, of I, diet help or things like that to me would be more helpful than what the current literature picks. I'm to also thinking because we're research. saying we're saying yeah, absolutely, but we're we're talking about highly processed food, and it isn't food, is it? We know it isn't food. It's yeah, called food. We should call it highly processed stuff. Yeah, because like, <laughs> everyone's like, well, you know, it's, it's it looks like food, and it's brilliantly branded and sold and <laughs> yeah. but it's not actually food so we're all buying into this illusion um yeah fascinating because if you have had a I don't know, let's say you get to I don't know 35 and you've had quite a highly processed diet yeah. yeah and we yeah of course what does that do to your endocrine system it's it's a really fascinating area um before we get to the end mm-hmm. what would what what do you bang the drum about? What's your big thing? Because I feel like I asked you about your work and then we went <laughs> on, but it was fascinating and relevant, so that's all okay. Well, what's your kind of the, the, your sort of mission and 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 what what do you want to put out there for anyone who's yeah. listening who is either just diagnosed, undiagnosed, or struggling with ADHD and eating mm-hmm. disorders or just disordered eating? What would you like yeah, to? Yeah, I think my big thing is like I think with intuitive eating, I like. I am such a fan of it for folks who have ADHD because moving, removing all of the, that diet mindset around things or the rules around what and when and how much to eat kind of creates space to figure out a way of eating that works best for you. And, you know, ideally will make you feel your best. And I think that'll look different for everyone based on their needs and their lifestyle. Um, and, you know, removing for a lot of my clients, there's just so much shame that comes with having ADHD 
um, from every aspect of your life because you're constantly being told for a lot of people, you're lazy or why don't you, you know, just do, you know, all of that stuff. And then it comes to food where it's like, why can't you chop vegetables or, you know, why do you buy pre-cut vegetables? And it's like for some people, it's too much for their brain to chop vegetables or, you know, the cooking process is too complicated and there's so much shame with being told we should do X, Y, and Z and not being able to do those things um, and feeling bad for it and holding on to that shame. So for me, it's, you know, a lot of things that are just more practical eating things, like giving people permission to do what works for them. Like if your meds suppress your appetite and all you can eat is a PB&J sandwich, like I would rather you eat a PB&J sandwich than not eat anything yeah. at all. Yeah, and how delicious. <laughs> you know? What delicious advice yeah. that is. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, having that perspective for me is, I think, or even, even with processed foods and things like that, you know, not to say, like, obviously eating a ton of extremely processed foods or the ultra processed foods, not the best, you know, to do 24-7, but mm-hmm. having some of those things that might require some level of processing, like, you know, maybe it is that you buy like a rotisserie chicken from the grocery store because you don't want to cook it or you don't have the time to do that um, or buying mm-hmm. frozen vegetables, you know, so that they don't go bad in your fridge and, and you know, and that's okay. Uh, figuring out those things that make eating, you know, easier and less overwhelming and you can find ways to still get in the nutrition that you're looking for without, you know, necessarily. Like I see a lot of advice for parents with kids with ADHD, that's like, you need to buy all organic food and you need to cook everything from scratch and not use all of these ingredients and things. And I'm like, that's a lot of work for someone to do that has a kid already with ADHD. You know, like that's not really feasible for most folks. And so there's a lot of shame that comes with that. I'm like, well, I'm hearing I have to do this and feed my kid this certain way. And if I can't do that, then I feel terrible. And oftentimes it might not need to be going to that extreme with things or when, when it comes to cooking and, you know, and our, our food choices of like, it doesn't necessarily need to be like that. If you want to cook everything from scratch and you have the time and the energy and the resources to do all of that, like go for it. But I know a lot of parents that have kids with ADHD might also have ADHD themselves. So that's asking right, a lot okay. I feel, on a parent. So. I, I feel like your, your mission if yeah. I may, is to put people into a place of acceptance and understanding yes. to then be able to nourish and love themselves. Yes. Yeah. That's a great way of phrasing it. I yeah. feel that that's what you're, yeah, you're here to do and with your work. Yeah. Where can, um, if there's anything else you want to say, but where can people, I know you're the ADHD nutritionist on Instagram. Yeah. So what would someone do if they wanted to approach you? Just direct message you or do yeah, you have a website? You can, or? You can send me a message. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're interested in working with me, I offer a free 30-minute call to kind of learn about my coaching program and see if you're a good fit to work with me. Great. Um, and I have a link in my Instagram bio um, to set up that call if you're interested in that. But if you have questions first, you can always send me a DM on Instagram. That's where I'm I'm most active. So. Okay. Well, we're going to have all your details on your show notes anyway. Awesome. Before I let you go, I don't want to let you yes. go, but we've got to get on with your day. <laughs> I've got to get on with my evening. It's been a yes. joy to speak to you. 
if I've were, enjoyed it. Oh, I'm so glad. If you were going to an island, any kind of island, and you had to take yes. five foods with you, I know this might be mm-hmm. tricky. What five foods would you take? Well, carrots and hummus is my all-time favorite snack, so I would have to bring that. Salty and crunchy and healthy. Yes, yeah. there's always carrots and hummus in my fridge. Okay. <laughs> there's nothing else. Uh, those so I would say that, carrots, that hummus, has to go. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. That, ooh, pretzels would probably be in there too. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. Maybe like sushi. Like if I had to pick one sushi or like a spicy tuna roll. Okay. I could I could survive on that for a while. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, you've got the hummus. Yes. <laughs> and you've got one um, more. And then it gets gets um and then um what else would I bring? <laughs> and maybe ice cream. What flavor? Yeah. Ooh, that's a good question. Um, so there's a place in the U.S. called Jenny's, and I have an ice cream called Brambleberry Crisp, which is like some sort of berry. Yeah. Um, and it's this nice little like jammy swirl, and then it has like little cheesecake crumbles and like a delicious vanilla ice cream. I and it know. is very rich, but also a little bit refreshing. Fantastic. Um, that sounds so, gorgeous. Yes. Absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> Thank you, Becca, so much for coming on to the Love This Food Thing podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Gemma. It's been an absolute joy. Yes. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Love This Food Thing. If you'd like to reach me, I'm on Instagram, at Love This Food Thing, or you can head to our website, lovethisfoodthing.com. Join our community. Everyone's welcome. Catch you in the next episode.